Dowdy back on the High Motor Podcast, the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. And this episode is going to be Jay Billis, ESPN college basketball analyst. Had some time with him this week. Not a ton of time, but he uh, did answer some questions about the NCAA. And then also I was on a teleconference with him in which he talked some more about some one-and-done stuff, kind of pushing back on this this narrative, this perception that one-and-dones just can't win at all. So I'm going to play that call. And then after that, it'll be Chase Kitty, per usual, breaking down college football betting for this week. With the exception of Baylor last week, he nailed uh, just about everything else. Had a great weekend, so you're going to want to stick around for that and listen to him. Andrew Doughty, Jay Billis, Chase Kitty, this is the High Motor Podcast. Jay Billis dropping by the High Motor Podcast as we tip off the college basketball season this week. And Jay, I want to go off the court here with the NCAA and ask you, ultimately, who, in your opinion, is standing in the way of, of making these changes that a lot of people have talked about that you've recommended to benefit student-athletes? And obviously right now we're all talking name, image, and likeness, but other items too. So if Mark Emmer comes out and says tomorrow, Jay, I agree with you, does everything change there, or are there other power brokers making that call, applying that pressure to keep the status quo? Well, it, 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 there's, there are a lot of people that have their, their hand in this and have a voice in it the board of governors is one um and, but and they gave the okay for the the different divisions to uh explore this and put rules together that deal with with name image and likeness rights uh i do think that the that the message was sent and it's pretty clear uh you know that the the committee that's being chaired by gene smith and uh, and val ackerman so what they're saying, and then what the Board of Governors said, uh, I think on Monday, Monday or Tuesday, um, they're not going to go very far on this. Um, when when you say name, image, and likeness rights, but uh, within the collegiate model, what you're really saying is we're going to do this, but we're not really going to do it. So it's it's not going to be much at all, in my judgment. We'll see. But uh, th- there's there's a, a bunch of different committees and and things that all this stuff goes through. So there's a lot of different people that have a voice in it, and and I and I think that's that's part of the that's part of the problem. Um, I there ha- what, what I find really interesting in this is that 45 days ago, give or take, when California passed SB 206, the the they call it the Fair Pay for Play Act, when that was passed. Mark Emmert and other NCAA officials, whether they be, uh, you know, uh, Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, they came out and said, this is an existential threat to college sports. And, and Larry Scott said, this will hurt women, and it will hurt women's sports. And they talked about how it was unconstitutional and all these different things. But you say existential threat and antithetical to what college sports is about, and this will make players professional and it will make players employees. And then 30, 45 days later, you say, well, you know, we've changed our mind, so we're going we're gonna to move forward on this, but we're going to do it within this collegiate model thing. That's a pretty significant flip-flop and or about face. And there's no explanation of, well, you know, we held this out as being this principle that we would never bend on, and now we're, we're bending on it. And, and I find it, you know, I... I I think it it goes to to like it, it it basically says we've never had any principle. This has always been about money, and and really it's just about how much money. 
and uh, and so that that's been surprising and and at the same time a, a little bit disappointing. What do you think that that Mark Emmert? You also mentioned Larry Scott is somebody too. What are those two and others ultimately scared of here? I mean, is it the money that if this were to happen, they'll be out of a job, their salaries will be cut, they won't be flying on private flights? You know, what is it that they're ultimately scared of changing here? Oh no, I, I I don't think they're worried about their jobs at all, and they'll they'll continue to make uh, to make uh, uh, big money, um, and rightfully so. That's fine. I, I you know I I don't I've never argued, nor has any other reasonable person ever argued that that the coaches shouldn't make the money they're making, or administrators shouldn't make the money they're making. The issue is the money that's being generated and being uh, and 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 the money that that administrators and coaches are making. It, it, when players are being cut out of the business altogether, uh, that's the problem. That the only person that is not allowed to make money, uh, it, it, not only in college sports but in our society, is uh, is a college athlete. You know, and every other college student is allowed to make money in their chosen field of endeavor. I think what they're what they're worried about is they've got. They've got a business right now, and they know where every dollar is going, where it's coming from, and they know they they know exactly how to manage it. And if if they take away these amateurism rules and open it up, then there are question marks about what other people are going to do. Um, so so they'll say, well, geez, what is Zion Williamson going to do? Is he going to do a radio show? Is he going to wear a different shoe than we than we wear? Um, what are we going to do? It's just where, whereas with any other decision, that's just business. Um, you know, they, they don't ask: Is does Dabo Sweeney is he getting? How is he being paid? Is he being paid through a radio show, or is every or is every dollar coming? You know, they don't ask that. They only ask that of a of a player. You know, five years ago we fought over a stipend, the cost of attendance stipend, and it was the same rhetoric. We're going to have to cancel sports. We cannot afford it. That, uh, women's sports are going to be hurt. Uh, and, you know, five years later, you know, nobody even questions that. It's all fine. We argued over food. You know, we could only give them one meal a day five years ago. Now you can feed them whatever you want. And, uh, and the world's still firmly on its axis, and all the, all the doomsday uh, talk uh, uh, was, was total nonsense. And the doomsday talk now is total nonsense, too. Well, I mean, it, I think having an experienced team is just good. Period. But but not many not many uh, programs can bring in a hall of five super talented freshmen. It's it just so it's not it's nobody's choice. Um, the the it, it, but if you if you actually look at who's winning the most games and who's winning the most tournament games since 2010, the teams that have won the most tournament games are Duke and Kentucky, and right. but they've also had the most freshmen. And so I, I'm not arguing with anybody that says, hey, you can't win a title just with freshmen. Of course you can't. You know, like in 2012, there were older players around Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Uh, in 2015, there were older players around, you know, Jalil Okafor and, and, uh, and Justice Winslow and, and Tyus Jones, all that stuff. You're always going to have that. But, um, but you know, if you're, if you're looking just at results, like, you know, how many teams are consistently with experienced players going to elite eights and final fours like Kentucky and Duke have been doing. And when, and both of them have won a championship in the last, uh, what, eight years. Um, you know, that, that, that it's hard to argue with their success. So, 
I think we tend to, um, because, and I'm not saying you're doing this or I'm doing it, but I think we tend to say, okay, well, you know, the one and done players aren't, aren't winning. Yes, they are. Like the last two years, Duke was a bucket away from the final four. And so was, uh, so was Kentucky doing it with young players. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we've seen some older teams flame out in the first and second round, uh, because Virginia was really experienced the year before and got beat by UMBC. So, you know, it, it, it kind of, the, the results are a little, little less, I mean, they, they're a little different than sometimes the narrative takes us. Hey, Jay, thanks a lot for the time. Safe travels this week and take care. Thank you. Some new odds dropping on Monday, a day after Florida State fired head coach Willie Taggart after 21 games. And this kind of falls into the, are people actually betting on it? And that's from my perspective. And Chase, I want to get your take on it. So with the Florida State head coaching odds, there are 12 coaches listed on Bet Online. Matt Campbell listed with the best odds, plus 300. Uh, really quickly here, Mark Stoops plus 400. Bob Stoops plus 500. James Franklin plus 500. P.J. Fleck is at 600. Irvin Myers at 600. Josh Heupel, 700. Dino Babers and Matt Rule both at 1000 apiece. And if you really want to throw away money here, Jimbo Fisher plus 1500 Jim Harbaugh <laughs> plus 2000 and the real good one Bobby Bowden plus 5000 stop so let's just keep this really th- simple what are your thoughts on special futures like coaching odds such and I, we'll talk about these specifically in a second but generally do you ever touch these and what is your opinion on this is this just a headline thing where bet online can tweet it out like Brett McMurphy tweeted out they know that this is going to get picked up and do people actually bet on this stuff? Yeah, I feel like this is more interesting from like a news standpoint than an actual gambling and handicapping standpoint. Like I want nothing to do with any of these bets. I never take these bets, these coaching futures. It's it's total degenerate stuff. And like if you want to bet it, go for it. And if especially if like you're close to the Florida State program, so you feel like you have some sort of special edge, go for it. But in general, I don't bet this stuff, and it's because I'm looking for things I feel like I have an advantage on. That's why I take so much FCS action, because I have way more expert knowledge than any bookmaker working at any casino or any sports book. I don't have expert knowledge of like who Florida State's next coach is going to be. If anything, the interesting part of looking at those odds is looking at where certain names get laid. So like you and I talked about Matt Rule and how we think you know he's maybe the hottest coaching commodity right now in college football, and somebody's going to come smack snack him up. Like the fact that he's plus a thousand and he's behind those other names makes me think, oh, like it seems like sports books know something about where he might land because his odds are so long to be at Florida State. It, it feels like maybe they already know somebody from the NFL is looking at him or maybe they've had conversations or whatever. That's the more interesting part of it to me than, oh, let me figure out what side I want to take here on Florida State's next head coach future. So it seems like you think this is just a sucker play, but if you had to bet, if you had to put down you know, $50 of Chase Kitty's money, what would you bet on here? Is it Matt Rule at plus a thousand? I mean, because of the, I know we talked about like before the season, we used the example when when we were looking at dark horse playoff picks, and I again I can't remember who tweeted out. Uh, I think it was Phil Steele maybe, 
And he said, yeah, one of the his Dark Horse playoff bets was Utah, whatever they were. And we both laughed at that, and we've talked about it since then because Utah just isn't winning the national championship. Before the season, you could have made an argument that they could make the playoff, and they still could make the playoff, but they're just not winning the national championship. So, I mean, are you even going that far down to Matt Rule at plus 1,000 to try to get something if you had to put 50 bucks on it? Or are you just going to maybe even spread out your money between, like, James Franklin, P.J. Fleck, and, and then another guy? Well, the the problem with spreading out your money is uh, it it could seem like a smart play, but if they go totally off the board or they hire from within or some crazy thing, then you know all your tickets are are dead. Uh, did you give me Lane Kiffin's odds in there anywhere? No, Lane Kiffin wasn't listed. I, I haven't checked other ones, and I wanted to ask you about that too because yeah, cause I think it was Dennis Dodd uh, on Monday morning tweeted out that Lane Kiffin has expressed interest. You had thrown him out there on Sunday before we even knew that Tagger was getting fired as a possibility. I. I think we kind of like agree where he would be on their list. I don't think there's any chance at all, but you seem to think that there's maybe a chance. Because I think there's a chance, and if the odds were long enough and you were making me bet it, I would I would think about maybe. What would his odds be on here, and what would interest you? The fact that he's not initially on the board at all makes me think that the odds would be pretty long. So I think the the value there and the fact that the name sort of – I paired those two things together before we even knew that this was going to happen uh, like four hours after we sat down and recorded that podcast. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I would think about taking a flyer on that if I had to. Again, so if you had to bet on one of these – I think there are 10 guys I said. If you had to put all your money on one of them, who would you take? Can you give me the guys and the odds again? Yeah, Matt Campbell's at 300, Mark Stoops 400, Bob Stoops 500 – James Franklin, 500. Uh, P.J. Fleck and Urban Meyer both at 600. Josh Heupel's at 7. Dino Babers, Matt Rule at 1,000. And again, those throwaway ones, Jimbo Fisher, 1,500. Jim Harbaugh, 2,000. And Bobby friggin' Bowden at 5,000. I guess Matt Campbell, just because I, I know the odds aren't very long, but it feels like he would be the, the most ready to step away. And, and you know that Florida State is an upgrade from Iowa State. Uh, like I said, the payoff's not good. But it feels like Iowa State has maybe taken sort of some natural regression back toward the middle of the pack in the Big 12 this year. That feels like a natural step away for him. So maybe even though the odds aren't great, I would uh, I would ride with Campbell. So last week on the midweek episode when we were talking and you were speculating what the odds would be for LSU-Alabama, as of right now it appears to be the biggest game of the college football season. The winner obviously has a pretty significant I I don't know if I'd call him a lock for the playoff, but if you win this game, you're, you're basically a lock for the playoff. Loser's still in a pretty decent spot, all things considered, because a loser probably won't be winning uh, the West Division. And I, I don't remember what we said. It was like we thought it might be Alabama minus four or five, depending uh, on Tua's availability. And we're still not even sure. I know that Paul Feinbaum tweeted out some, what he was hearing about Tua. I think that was like Sunday night or, or Monday morning, maybe. But we still don't even know if he's going to play. And right now, Alabama is at minus six at home. Where do you, I mean, I guess, are they just, is that kind of just a. a a stopgap, stay put in line for now until they figure out if Tua is actually going to play? And where do you expect that to go if Tua does or does not play? If we know before Saturday, we may not even know before uh, 3.30 Eastern on Saturday. So if if he does or does not play, how much do you think that line is going to move before kickoff? Uh, well, what I expect is, number one, if they announce either, you know, if they announce that he's not going to play, 
if if they announce he's going to play, I don't think much happens. I think the line stays exactly where it's at, and maybe even some action comes in on Alabama that pushes it back up to seven. Because what from what I've seen, it was hung at seven in a lot of books. It's been bet down to six and a half by LSU betters. Uh, if it comes out that he is not going to play, I would expect most books to take this off the board. And depending on when that announcement comes in the week, it may or may not get hung back up with a different number. Uh, when you actually look at the number and, and what's been hung and what people are betting, first of all, there's already an insane amount of action on this game. We're recording this Monday afternoon and like a ton of action already. I think the number I saw at one sports book was like 3,500 tickets have already been purchased. What would that normally be for a a good... I mean, again, this is the college football game of the season. This is one of the games over the last decade, probably. Let's I mean, for a... Like the um, like the Florida LSU game. What would that number be at on Monday? You said it was 3,500 tickets. Right? Um, this on game. Monday, I, I would... If it was higher than like a thousand, I'd be pretty surprised on Monday. So this is significant. This yeah, is this is two a and a half, number. three yeah. times more than than a normal good game would have. There's a lot of money in play right now, and where the money, is, the majority of tickets and the majority of money is both on LSU, which is why you've seen that number come from seven down to six and a half. And one of the things I talk about in this podcast and on my podcast and the column edge sorting everywhere, one of the things I talk about is beware of public underdogs, right? And then on top of that, the fact that we don't really know what's going on with Tua yet, but this line was hung all the way up at seven really makes me question whether or not LSU is the side to be on here. Um, so I, I would be very nervous if I was holding an LSU ticket or I was thinking about buying an LSU ticket because this seems like the type of thing where a lot of people are going to be on LSU plus the points. The thought process is, oh, well, I think they might be the better team anyway. They're the higher ranked team and they're catching a full touchdown. Like, of course I'm going to bet LSU. And then Alabama, you know, figures it out and they win 33 to 23 or whatever. What's your initial read on this? And I know that a lot of people are just going to bet this game because everybody's going to be watching it and that's kind of how it works. If you're watching it, a lot of people that bet are just going to bet on this game regardless if they feel great or not because they want to have a little bit more investment on it. But would you recommend this being a stay away, even though that would be hard for a lot of football fans to be watching this and not have actual money on it? Yeah, I don't think I want a part in this. You know, we talk all the time about bet. Don't you don't bet the team. You bet the numbers, right? Professionals bet the number Amateurs bet the teams. When I look at this number, what that number tells me is that there is way more of a gap between these two teams than you might think. Uh, that what that number tells me is that the the sports books want you to take LSU, and whenever you see stuff like that, you have to be nervous about playing into what they want you to do. Uh, so for me, right now, unless something changes. This would be Alabama or pass. What would change that would interest you with this? Um, if it comes out that Tua isn't going to play, and then they rehang the line somewhere that I feel like I, I have an advantage, um, and, and like just just to sort of put a bow on this, like you, I, I've talked on this podcast before in the last couple of weeks, I'm not a huge Alabama guy this year. I, I think this is maybe the worst Alabama team they've put out in four or five years. Now. Don't read too much into the fact that I just said worst because you know, the bar for this program is so stupid high that you know the worst team might still be like a really, 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 really good team. 
But I, I'm not some like Alabama stand this year. I really don't think they're that good. I don't think they'll end up making the playoff. But f- I'm not talking about this from a football perspective. I'm talking about this from a gambling perspective. And when you look at the number, this looks very fishy to me. The fact that LSU, the number one team in the polls right now, is catching a full touchdown, that's a little weird. Let's move on. Let's look at some other Week 11 games. I have some rapid-fire 10 games for you here. Uh, They are all Power 5 games. Sorry, G5 folks, all Power 5 games this week. First, Washington, a 10-point favorite at a suddenly uh, dangerous, competent Oregon State team. This seems like too many points for Washington to lay on the road. Uh, This feels like a brand spread and not a focused on this year, this team spread. Uh, So for me, if I was going to bet this game, which I won't, but if I was, I would lean toward Oregon State catching all those points at home. I think one of the themes you're going to see this week with some of these games we're going to talk about, a lot of value on the home dogs. Baylor going to TCU, trying to stay uh, undefeated. Baylor just a one-point favorite. Again, we're doing this early in the week, so these lines could change uh, quite a bit. Right now, Baylor a one-point favorite at TCU. I know I just talked about the home dogs, and I'm going to talk about the home dogs again. But with Baylor specifically, this is the case. Uh, just This team continues to be undervalued, and I don't really understand why. I know I was talking about last week. I know they looked kind of flat in the game against West Virginia. But overall, Baylor is undefeated. They have been really good against the number this year. And TCU continues to be overvalued. One of the things I got right last week that, that was in the column and everything was I had Oklahoma State laying a small number to beat TCU at home. Uh, I didn't understand why the number got bet all the way down to like minus two. Oklahoma State's a pretty good team. They're not great, but they're they're quite good. And they only had to lay like two points at home against a TCU team that's in the bottom half of the Big 12. Now Baylor gets to, you know, basically a, it, this is a pick em. It's minus one. Yeah, give me Baylor. Until Baylor loses and I get to lay these small numbers, I'm going to keep betting Baylor. Let's stay in the Big 12. I have three more Big 12 games I want to ask you about. First of all, Texas Tech, another one-point favorite at West Virginia. What's your feeling on that? You know, I mentioned this game a couple weeks ago. is like the game where if West Virginia is going to win another game basically the entire rest of the season, it feels like it's going to be this one. Um, I was encouraged. I thought they played pretty well against Baylor. Um, I think this is a good spot for them. I think Texas Tech is not all that good. I think they played above their head in close games earlier this season. Uh, I think when they upset Oklahoma State, I think that was their absolute sort of max. Now they're going to go all the way to Morgantown, which is a tough place to play. You know, the the fans, despite the fact that West Virginia is not good this year, they're still pretty into it. They're still fired up about the whole Neil Brown thing. Uh, It hasn't died down at all. So I actually think West Virginia wins this game outright, uh, and this opened as a pick from what I saw. It's been bet up to Texas Tech minus two already. So you're catching points with West Virginia. This is good value, and I think they went outright. We spent a lot of, of time on this podcast this season crapping on Texas, and they get Kansas State at home five-point favorite. I think it was last week on the show. You said you, you, said you thought Kansas State uh, would end up being in the Big 12 championship game. They have a nice... Uh, path to it that they kind of control now. So Kansas State at Texas, Texas a five-point favorite. To me, as an amateur better, that seems high. What do you think? Uh, agree. Uh, I'm this, this is one of those cases where I look at the number and go, oh, that number is because of the brand name, right? Like Texas is a five-point favorite in this game, but if you look at the two teams, like I don't think Texas is the better team in this matchup. So th- this is books protecting themselves against people who keep betting Texas for some reason. 
uh, just because it's one of those college football brands and people like to bet brands. Uh, Kansas State is a flat-out better team. We're catching five points here. The spot scares me a little bit because now when you look at what Kansas State's done, they upset Oklahoma. They play against Kansas, which it is Kansas, and it's the worst team in the conference, but it's still one of those intrastate rivalry sorts of things. Now you got to go on the road against Texas. Texas is still kind of beat up. I like the style of play advantage for Kansas State. I like that we're catching five points, which is sort of a weird number, but still, uh, I, I would I would definitely back Kansas State here. I think they can win outright, and even if they don't, the the style of play that they have lends them to maybe a close, low-scoring game. Last Big 12 one for you, Iowa State at Oklahoma. Oklahoma nearly a two-touchdown favorite at 13.5 in Norman. Yeah, this is kind of weird for me. This is probably a stay away. Uh, I, I don't... Iowa State's been up and down all year. Uh, my gut tells me that Oklahoma comes out and, and, and you know puts them away after a trying couple of weeks. But again, you got to bet the number, right? And this number scares me. A lot of the time when I see 13 and a half, the first thing I think is, oh, well, the book wants me on this side, right? That's sort of that enticing, look, we're going to give you half a point. If they win by two touchdowns, you're going to cover. It's one of those things. And so I always get nervous, and I always think about that when I see that number. Uh, I would lean toward Oklahoma if the number was maybe a little different, but for me, this is probably a stay away. Let's go up to the Big Ten, uh, the biggest game probably in Minnesota football history, at least in the last five or six decades, at least in, in our lifetimes. They're at home against Penn State. Uh, if Minnesota wins, they basically wrap up the Big Ten West. They're only a six-and-a-half-point underdog at home, and again, I'm curious, uh, home dogs here, is that too big of a number, or is that a reasonable number where you would consider taking Minnesota against Penn State six-and-a-half? Well, this is a different conference, but it actually relates a lot back to what I was just talking about with the Big 12 game, right? Six and a half is one of those numbers where you think, oh, if they win by a touchdown, I cover. Uh, so that makes me a little nervous to start with with Penn State. Uh, it feels like the book wants me on Penn State, and I, I, I don't know the numbers uh, public betting off the top of my head on this particular game, but I would imagine that the public is on Penn State here as well. Uh, I just don't really trust Minnesota. I, I bet on a lot of Minnesota games early. Uh, I thought that they were going to smash South Dakota State, which is a good FCS program, but South Dakota State was right in that game at the end, and, and I laid the two touchdowns and I lost. Uh, I had them in a couple of money line parlays in September. They really made me sweat those out. I just don't know how good this Minnesota team is. I know they're undefeated, but it... I feel like they're probably a little overrated at like 12th in the polls. So for me, this is a stay away just because I don't know how to grade either team. I don't know how to grade one team, and I don't like the number for the other team. Staying in the Big Ten West, Iowa goes to Wisconsin. Wisconsin trying to keep those West hopes alive after two straight losses. Five and a half point favorite at home. This feels like a big number for this game, right? Five and a half, not a big number. Basically, you need them to win by six. Oh, you don't. Not basically. You need them to win. You by need six. them to win by six. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is you know one of those. It's in that range of six to seven popular numbers uh, that, that you often see football games end on. So, so it's a nice number if you want to bet Wisconsin. My fear is with Iowa and Wisconsin, like the winner is going to score how many points in this game? Do you think like seventeen? And it's seventeen thirteen. Doesn't that feel like what this game could be? It's be like a four to two game. Four to yeah, three. four to two. <laughs> Uh, so for me, 
five and a half is just too big of a number to lay. If I have to bet this game, I would lean toward Iowa plus the points. Couple of ACC games and then one Pac-12 uh, game that. I just don't care about at all, but I'm curious what your take is with the coaching situation. Florida State, a two-point favorite on the road at Boston College. Yeah, I have no idea what to do with this game, and neither do a lot of sports books. Uh, I've seen Boston College as a two-point favorite. I've seen Florida State as a two-point favorite. Boston College has been a little more inconsistent this year than they have been in the last couple. Uh, you sort of know what you're going to get with Adazio. But I feel like the pieces aren't as good this year as they have been in the last couple. And then Florida State is a total wild card. Uh, I don't know how much the players liked Taggart. Maybe, you know, sometimes you have a case where they fire the coach and the team is energetic, even though the season's kind of over. They come in the next week and they look good. In November with a fired coach, they could come out and look totally flat. You have absolutely no idea what's going to happen here, which is probably why you've seen such variance on the sports book side of things with where the numbers are. Uh, this is a total pass for me. I would not take a side in this under no circumstances would I take a side in this. Wake Forest, three-point favorite at Virginia Tech. What are the thoughts on that? Give me the Hokies, man. I, I talked about this game a few weeks ago when we were talking about Wake Forest's playoff path right before they lost to Louisville. And we were talking about like, eh, they could get to Clemson and, you know, say what you want about the matchup and you, know, you don't think they could beat Clemson, but you know, they do have the head to head there and that could all play out and you know, you win one game and you're in. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's all maybe true, but I don't know if they're going to get past Blacksburg the week before that. Uh, this is a great spot for tech, which is quietly a little less quietly now because they pushed Notre Dame so heavily last week, but Virginia tech has sort of quietly fixed their season. I still don't think they're an awesome team. Uh, but they've improved the record. I think it's five and three now. They're a home dog. They're catching three points. I I, I think they can beat Wake Forest. Uh, so a home dog catching three points against a beatable team. I think Virginia Tech is the is the hotter team. I think they're playing better right now. I think Tech's decide to be on here. Yeah, that was a fun conversation we had. It was like a month or month and a half ago when we basically said that Baylor, Minnesota, and Wake Forest, none of them are playoff caliber teams, but we got to look at the path. And even though that Wake Forest lost that game and they're not in the playoff consideration, uh, we're still on a, a point where if Minnesota gets the Penn State win, if Baylor continues playing well, we're kind of getting to the point where we need to cash our checks and, and actually see if what we were talking about and what we were pushing, I think it was like four or five weeks ago, saying those three teams could be in it at the end, even no matter what you think of the teams. Uh, we've kind of reached that point where we're going we're gonna to figure this out. All right, last one for you. In the Pac-12, Arizona State hosts USC, another home dog. USC right now a two-point favorite on the road. Yeah, this line makes no sense to me at all. Arizona State's been really good this year. They're one of the better teams in the Pac-12. They're a home underdog to a beat-up USC team. I, I mean, give me Arizona State. Like, I don't even have to think about this. This is, this is a great pick. Before we go here, anything not on those, those were what, uh, nine, 10 games I just uh, rolled off for you. Anything not on that list that you love this week? I do have a couple. I mentioned Louisville a couple times, and they are catching five and a half points at Miami this week. Now, I know I've talked before on this podcast about how Miami is sort of my stay away team this year, where just like the matchup, I don't care who they're playing. I, I, I just don't want anything to do with them because they're too bipolar. And for the most part, that's true, but I like the spot here for Louisville. I've said a couple of times I think they're probably the second best team in the ACC. And I think when you dig into Miami's numbers a little bit more, this year they play poorly as a favorite. They play pretty well as an underdog. 
Now you could, you know, you spend eternity trying to figure out why teams are like that, why they play good in the underdog role and why they suck as a favorite. Uh, I don't really care about any of that. What I care more about is the fact that it, that seems to be the reality. So now that sort of the public is back on the Miami train and now they're a favorite again, they're laying five and a half points against a really good Louisville team. Uh, I, and I don't know that they're a better team than Louisville in the first place. And even if sort of they were a better or more talented team, I don't know that they should be laying this close to six points. Uh, Louisville is the spot that I want to be on here, and I'm seriously thinking about putting it in the column. The other one that I sort of like, and I say sort of for a very important reason, is SMU coming off the Memphis loss, going home to play East Carolina. This is one of the great spots that I look at, right? SMU just is coming off a loss, so there could be some value there. East Carolina just played a really close game. They played above their head at home against Cincinnati. This is a great time to bet on uh, Southern Methodist. It's a great time to bet against East Carolina, and they happen to be playing each other. The number is 23.5, which is a big number. That's why I caution people against it. Normally, you probably don't want to lay that many points in a G5 game. But I do think SMU's been pretty consistent this year. The problem with them is they don't I mean, they'll they'll win big, but not like big, big. They they don't blow the crap out of people like a Clemson or an Alabama might. So it's something I'm keeping an eye on. I don't love the fact that the number's twenty three and a half. Again, it's one of those situations where it feels like the book wants me on that side. But it's something I'm keeping an eye on because there are a lot of factors that I like around the game. Hey, and also remember, if you do have specific betting questions about either of those two games that Chase just mentioned and the other 10 that we talked about before or anything else in college football, Chase is always willing to take those on Twitter at ChaseAKitty. Thank you, sir, for that breakdown. Uh, thanks again to Jay Bills for his time this week. We'll be back on Sunday morning uh, recapping what should be a very clarifying Week 11. Who remains undefeated? LSU, Alabama, Penn State, Minnesota. Look ahead to Week 12. Thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast this week. Chase and I will be back on Sunday morning. I saw a friend today, it had been a while And we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between.